Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, this time, I pick a topic that is controversial to say the least. Historical, yes. Folkloristic, too, although some people might not think so. The Black and Tans. Now, the Black and Tans, as I said, controversial. But I was lucky to have recorded many, many people when I first started recording old people back in the 1970s, 45 years ago. There were still many people alive who remembered them personally. I doubt if there are any people today alive who can remember the Black and Tans. Oh, there are many people today who will have read about them in books, but that's not the same thing. To have met the Black and Tans personally in their crossly tenders. Oh, what would you make of them? <laughs> would they get out or ask you to get out of your horse and cart? And would they beat you up? Would they let you pass? Would they treat you nicely? Because the strange thing is that they have a terrible reputation. And oddly enough, many, many of the people I have on tape, said they were okay. There was no problem at all with the black and tans. And, of course, we today, who were brought up on tales of terror, that there were thugs of the lowest order, that there were the lunatics let out of English madhouses, out of prisons in England to come and terrorise the Irish. No, those stories weren't true at all. Most of them were ex-servicemen back from the Great War 
who came back to a land of milk and honey, England, only to find that there was nothing waiting for them except unemployment. Poverty. And for them and their families. And then they were offered ten shillings a day with all emoluments, all benefits to come to Ireland. And they didn't care what it was for. But let me let me begin. You see, on January the twenty first, nineteen nineteen, at Solohead Beg, it all began. You could say, when Dan Breen, the commander of the Third Tipperary Brigade, when he and his men ambushed the police escort who were taking the Jellignite or the Jellignite, pronounce it as you will, to that quarry at Salahed Beg, and the two constables were killed. That began, well, it began a, a, a war, or what turned into a war. But some people will tell you that it was never a, entirely a war. It was a police action throughout. Because, you see, the British Army were never fully brought into that war. The British Army were in Ireland, but the British Army were never fully brought into it. The RIC were in it, of course, they were. The Black and Tans were never an army. The Black and Tans, officially, they were uh, RICSR, Special Reserve or Special Constables. And they arrived in March 1920. In fact, March the 23rd, 1920, they arrived in Beggar's Bush Barracks in Dublin. Later, of course, the auxiliaries uh, arrived in November of 1920. They were uh, cadets, they were called, the Auxiliary Division, EIDNR, Auxiliary Division of the, the RIC. They were also pretended police, as we might say, but all of them were supposed to be supporting the RIC, not the army. The army was still the army, separate. And the strange thing was, as I found out constantly, constantly, and it was a, a constant from the people that I spoke to all the way through, that if you compared the five forces in Ireland in the Troubles, the British Army, the RIC, the Black and Tans, the Auxiliaries and later the Free State Army. The British Army came out on top every single time. People preferred the British Army. Now that is whether we like it or not today. That's as I found it. And the ones that came out on the bottom? The Free State Army. The Free State Army were most disliked. Oh, you ask me why? Well, I think I know why. Because they had to pick up the pieces when all the destruction was done. But to get back to the, the, um, the tans, they were brought in in order to help the police because after Salahed Beg and the killings there of the two constables, 
bit by bit by bit. That got worse and worse and worse with attacks on barracks and ambushes and the police began to unravel. The RIC began to fall apart and the British government saw that unless something was done quickly there would be no RIC. Now, who decided that uh, we'll have to take desperate uh, desperate measures here? <laughs> you might guess it. Winston Churchill was one of them. The well, some people would say the greatest dunce of the twentieth century. He was the man, or one of them, who, uh, in the Boer War, was in the formation of um, concentration camps. He was the bright man who was in the Gallipoli campaign. A campaign. He was the bright man who uh, thought that Italy, uh, in the Second World War, was the soft underbelly of Europe. Not the greatest bright man entirely, but in Ireland it was the very same. Uh, the Black and Tans were a disaster, and they turned the Irish population, whatever way the Irish population was before that, they turned the Irish population against English rule in Ireland, and they didn't stop there. The auxiliaries were brought in after that, and we'll get to them another time. But the Black and tans. Who were they? Now, there is an interesting thing. Who were the black and tans? Now, the black and tans, we are inclined to think, well, they were English, of course. They were English. They weren't. They weren't. The black and tans, if they came in, when they came in, on last the 23rd, 1920, and, and by the way, they went after the signing of the treaty in December of 1921. In that 18, 19 months, they did the destruction they did, and uh, a lot of destruction it was also. will get to that in a, a moment. There were 7,684 of them enlisted in 83, uh, 83 recruiting officers in many, many and wide-flung areas. 143 of them were killed. 506 of them were dismissed for various reasons, insubordination, threatening officers, drunkenness, thievery and the rest of it. And you'd expect that because they were, they were uh, enlisted so quickly, so quickly that that was bound to be the case. They were a ragtag bunch, even though Every one of them had been a soldier before that. That was part of why the, you had to be a soldier before that in order to be enlisted. Um, now, here's an interesting thing. 1,725 of them resigned. So, obviously, there were some honest men among them. They couldn't stick what they were asked to do. So, they quit. They quit. They weren't going to stay in Ireland, do it, and it wasn't entirely cowardice. I'm sure there was some of that too, under fire, from from a kind of warfare that they weren't used to. But remember, many of these had come from the battlefields of France, so they weren't cowards. But to be shot from behind ditches, to be shot from you know, in darkness uh, by civilians, people that you weren't expecting to be shot by out of crowds, that was a different kind of warfare. So many of them, 1,725 of them, quit. 
resigned. And like I say, some of those must have quit through conscience. Uh, they only got a month's training, which wasn't much when you think of it. The old RIC got six months training in law and in various other things, arms training and all the rest of it. Now, this, this new crowd only got a month's training, which was a very, very different thing entirely, and then they were let out and let loose on the general public. Not a good sign, not a good sign. Now, here is the very interesting thing which most Irish people will be scratching their heads over. Over 380 of them were Irish-born. Uh. And where did they come from? What counties did they come from? Well, the interesting part of it is that. Because the counties they came from. Now, I, I mentioned to you uh, a moment ago, for example, Tipperary began the War of Independence, you could say, with Solihead Big and Dan Breen and his third Tipperary Brigade. And you had such famous men as Sean Tracy, another tip hero. But... Tipperary was high up in the list when it came to the uh, recruitment of black and tans. There were 24 of the black and tans from Tipperary. Anstrom lead, uh, led the way. There were uh, Well, he didn't, sorry. Dublin led the way, as you might expect. Dublin City led the way with 53. Anstrom was close behind with 48. Uh, Cork had uh, only 27, and you would maybe expect more. Uh, Limerick, city and all, had only eight. Uh, the smallest of all number was Westmeath. It had only two. There were strange numbers, you would say. Galway, you'd say, uh, city and all, had only 15. <laughs> Leitrim, only seven. Donegal, 18. Now, you can see the northern counties had a lot. And I suppose maybe some of those, some of those were Protestants. But there were quite, quite a lot of Catholics in the Black and Tans. And you'd ask yourself, why should there be so many Catholics fighting against a largely Catholic population? Money, I presume. It was money because ten shillings a day was a very, very good wage. And you were promised a pension and you were promised all found. You were fed, you were housed and, well, in 1920 that was a very, very uh, big lure for people who might otherwise have had nothing. You got a uniform, you got a gun, you got a gun. A gun meant power that time and I suppose, I suppose that in itself was was something. So, so to see a map of the places where these people came from in Ireland, that was quite something. But there is something else. Where else did these people come from? There were no less than, than 34 countries. 34 countries they came from. As far away as Burma, there was one of them came from Burma, one of them came from Egypt, one of them came from Norway, <laughs> one of them came from Indonesia. There were two Russians in it. 
there was a Spaniard, there was a Turk. <laughs> Would you believe it? There was a Ukrainian. Wouldn't he have gone down well today? We might tell you, we have a, a Ukrainian. Uh, there were 17 Americans in it. I wonder where in America did they come from, that they would have thought fit to come to Ireland to fight with the Tans. Strange. Imagine that. 34 countries and a huge, huge contingent from Scotland in the Tans. Most of them, of course, from England. Yeah, we know that. But a very, very, very big contingent from Scotland. Much more than from Wales, but also a big contingent from Wales. Their commander was General Sir Henry Tudor. Well, well, they were a motley bunch indeed. And, as I say, they did the English reputation, the reputation of England, terrible damage all over the world. Uh, we know what they did. We know what they did. They burned... Uh, uh, Balbriggan, they burned Cork, they burned Lahinch, they burned in Simon. But on the other hand, we can say that there are two sides to many stories. In the burning of Cork, perhaps it was the result of the ambush. There was an ambush just before Cork was burned and a number of casualties on the Tans and on the British Army side as well. And of course they went berserk as a result, with the help of drink. Uh, why was Dennis Diamond burned and Le Hinch and Milton Malby? Uh, because of the Renin ambush, where several policemen uh, were killed also, their colleagues. No, that doesn't say... Uh, that doesn't excuse what happened, but but there are two sides, as I say, to every story, and uh, there's no point in hiding one in order to explain another. They, of course, were the forces of law and order, and by the Lord, they wasn't keeping good law and order by doing that, but it was policy by the IRA uh, to ambush them, in order to make them retaliate, in order to turn the local population against them. And the IRA were very, very, very good at that. So, eventually, it worked. And it gave the Tans a very bad name, and in the process it gave the RIC a bad name. And before that, the RIC had, and were, had been, and were, pretty well integrated in the community. They were the equivalent, I suppose, of the local guards now, except, I suppose, they were seen as working for the British government, as the, as the statement went, they were the eyes and ears of the British government and therefore must be attacked. Uh, if it was nowadays, what would be the, um, the thoughts of people if the guards were being attacked in the same way, uh, it would be, I suppose, well, we've seen, we've seen uh, that with the new IRA. Not a friendly reaction. Um, well, well, I knew some of the older, the old uh, RIC. 
in their older days, uh, in my own place in Kerry, nobody ever interfered with them. Luckily for them, uh, they seemed friendly enough men, and the people who knew them in my village, uh, there was two of them, retired. Uh, one of them, <laughs> he was one of the men who had quit in Listowel, in the Listowel Mutiny, and uh, Paddy Sheeran, uh, when he threw down his revolver and belt and said to his commanding officer at that time when the officer told them that if they shot any fellas that nothing much would be done uh, to them. But they said no, that they were Irishmen, they weren't going to do that and they quit. And I have to say this much, they got no pension from the British government and the Irish government treated them very shabbily. They didn't get one or they didn't get the other, as far as I know. They got no very much gratitude for what they had done, their patriotic uh, duty. So, I, in my forthcoming book about all of this, Military Memories, I, in order to classify what the Tans were like, I broke up. Uh, opinions, because I have so much material on the Tans, into people's opinions of the Tans. And Lord, they were so mixed. From what people thought of the Tans, you might you might take it from A to Z. Some people, of course, thought they were the scum of the earth, they were let out of mental homes, and God only I will lay hate them with a vehemence. Which is very understandable, because when the Tans raided you, they could tear the place apart, unless, for one thing, for one thing, if they had a good officer over them, you were safe enough. You were safe enough if they had a good officer. My own grandmother told me that when she was a child, when she was a child, and I remember her just when I was small, she told me that when she was a baby, <laughs> she was sick and the Tans raided the house because my grandfather he used to keep he was the secretary for the local branch of the volunteers he was a harness maker so I suppose he was used to making up accounts he was a handyman with figures and he kept their accounts and their account books and the Tans were coming and you'd hear the crossly tenders it seems coming and he made a dive out the back window and up an old glen where there was lots of bushes and briars. Now he escaped. But in came the tans, and they searched the house, turned everything upside down, furniture, beds and everything, but the child, she, was inside in bed with a fever. And they were going to dump her out on the floor when the officer intervened and said, no, 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 the child is sick, leave the child alone. And the account books were under the bed, under the child's mattress. And if they had discovered the books, the house would have been burned, she said. But only for that officer. And she said maybe he had children at home himself, in England, or wherever he was from. But that saved the house. And they went back, she said, they, this was in Mount Collins in County Limerick, they went back then to the cross, the crossroads in Mount Collins, and they went up to the hall where the, the volunteers used to meet, and they burned it. They burned the hall all right, 
but the house was saved. And there were many, many, many stories like that, where the tens came and sometimes they burned the place if they had any kind of information or maybe beat up the people. But if there was a good officer in charge of them, they could be very civilised. Now, also, if they got drink in them, and of course they could break into a pub and steal what was there, and were you going to stop them if you were a publican? No, just a case of yes sir and no sir or whatever, or you might get a slap of a butt of a rifle into the face. And what, what were you going to do then? Nothing, nothing. They were the law, and it was as simple as that. So, if they had drink on them, you were finished. One man said that to me. He was going one day with a horse and car, going about his business, doing nothing at all. And they passed, singing, 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 whatever they were after coming, he said. And a couple of them had bottles in their hands and slugging the bottles down. They must have been after robbing a pub. And all he could do was keep down his head, keep down his head and keep going. Lucky for him, they kept going also, he said, because if he had said a word for them, they might have stopped the lorry, and God only knows what might have happened to him. It was all a case of might have, might have, might be, might, might. And that's what put the terror of God into people. Not so much what they did, but what they might do. It terrorised people. It was the sense of tension, tension. It wasn't so many people that they shot, or anything like that, or the number of houses that they burned. And of course they did, they did, but what they might do. Now, also, I have, they, they mistreated people, of course, and they had no respect for women or older people or churches or religious services and the raids they made on houses. And the funny thing was that what came out was the number of Protestant people who helped their local Catholic neighbours. It was wonderful. I'm living here now in Clare and there was never any persecution of Protestant people here in Clare, as I have heard anywhere, and much the same in North Kerry. In parts of South Kerry there was. But in, in Limerick, Clare, and in North Kerry, to the best of my knowledge, there wasn't. And in most of Galway, as far as I know, there wasn't. And in where I'm living here in Clare, there was a great sense of solidarity between Protestants and Catholics. Their Protestant neighbours, they were very good, and they were the ones who had the land, but they were very good to their Catholic neighbours, who depended on them for work and everything else, and they helped. And I think that's partly the reason why so many Protestants survived afterwards in the Civil War and all the rest of it, when they really could have been hurt. Because people remembered when the Tans were here, those were the people who helped us out. Now, another thing, another thing I found out afterwards, of course, was uh, the number of people who went off with them. Uh, women who married them. Which is very strange. Why in God's name would you marry a ten? Was it because of the uniform? Was it glamour or was it genuine love? Well, I found out that there were women who married tens and went off and were never seen again. Now, of course, you know the reason why you'd never be seen again. 
you wouldn't be very welcome back. How, if you married Etienne, were you going to come back to your own village? Unless, unless the Tan, for some strange reason, had deserted. And, believe it or not, I found a few cases of where Tans did desert and stayed. There was one or two in Ennis who deserted and stayed. And was allowed to live to tell the tale. And why? Because he had been giving information of where maybe Tans might be going and where the IRA might be able to avoid them when they'd be going out on a, on an operation or wherever. So there was all kinds of combinations and variations of, you see, it's hard to understand now for us the dark times that were there. And if you were on the run at that time in a lightless country, I tell you, you would find such a different, it was a different world from the kind of world we live in today. For example, the one story I wrote out last night now was, here's a good example. I mention no names, I can't in most of these stories, because how could you? There was this particular man, he was crazy about women. Mm, has this gone away? But this man was mad for women. He'd be out after women, as they put it in Kerry. He was mad for women. And this particular night, 1920, he was just uh, not just mad for women, but mad. He was out waiting for this particular woman that he was after. After. Now, not in the sense of after, in the modern sense of the lunatics that are going nowadays, but but he was, he, he, I suppose he was in love with her, but he was waiting for her behind the pier of a gate. And think now of, in a rural area, a dark countryside, no electricity, 1920, a dark road, and he heard her coming. He had to come, he had to come in, <laughs> and he said he'd surprise her. And as soon as he had her almost to him, he jumped out in a run <laughs> to grab her, grab her. I suppose to give her a fright, and bang, got a slapper of a, of a revolver in the face, knocked out his teeth. Who was it? Only two black and tans, two black and tans, the dirty Egypt. <laughs> A black and tan patrol. That's the kind of country you were dealing with at the time. They could have shot him. They were, they were patrolling. And of course, that would have been justified, you could say. Because they might have thought themselves being attacked. And if they had shot him, he'd have got damn little sympathy from the people around him. His neighbours. They'd have said in the name of God Almighty, what were you doing there? And the misfortunate girl going home from maybe a dance or a meeting with her friends or something like that in a hurry home. What in the name of God were you doing there waiting for her like that? Wouldn't you let the girl go home? Well, I tell you, he had plenty of reason to remember it afterwards because his teeth were broke for him. But like I say, he could have been shot dead that night. 1920 was the worst year of all the Troubles. Look at all the people who were killed, shot, the burnings and the rest of it on that year. 
So I had I had some of those some of those in personal detail told to me by people who were there. Now that was fun of course. That was fun in those years. Because God almighty you couldn't you could not exist without some sense of fun. People would have gone mad to be just like the, the pandemic we've gone through unless you had some sense of humor you you would you could put your head into the fire and, and do away with yourself. But there was a sense of humour with these. There's like the man in West Clare. Uh, he was going into Kilkee and he met a patrol of the tens. A sergeant held him up. Hold on, he says, where are you going? Uh, and the, the old lad, they made out he was a little bit simple. And uh, I'm, I'm going into Kilkee, he says. Uh, and uh, the sergeant says to him, what did you do if you met a black and tan? And thought that says, what kind of an animal is that? There, go on, says the sergeant. Go on, go on, he's harmless. <laughs> so, you know, that, there was a sense of humour too. Oh, but maybe the lad wasn't so simple at all. Maybe he was mm -mm, putting it on in order to get by them. Maybe he had urgent business because people, they needed flour, they needed various other things for home that they couldn't produce themselves. People were going hungry because they couldn't get to town with these bios. Oh, now, also then, when they were leaving, finally, finally, I've had stories from Kerry, Cork, Galway, Clare. There was a bit of spite. There was fights in some places between finally the IRA, the volunteers came out to see them off. <laughs> you know, after the truth, after things were signed. And the fellows that had been fighting bitterly came out to meet each other. Ah, so you're the captain that we were sniping at, that we were waiting in ambush for, and Jesus, you're the lad that we had all the looking for. I'm the lad. <laughs> so, and sometimes they shook hands, because they had respect for each other. Oh, God, they had respect for each other. But sometimes, of course, it turned into a fist fight. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes... There was, there was, uh, they'd go for revolvers, but people would separate them. No, 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 no. Look, look, lads, look, lads. It's the same now. Yeah, we've had, we've had uh, a bad battle now, so don't, don't do it now. Don't do it now. It's signed and leave it go. And there was one fellow in Clare, one of the well-known commanders of the volunteers. Uh, one of the, I think it was one of the Brennans who turned out to be a general afterwards in the Free State Army. And nearly sure it was. Was it? I think it was. Uh, if it wasn't him, it was Ignatius O'Neill. Uh, that he met his counterpart in the Tans just after the thing being signed, the, the, the treaty being signed. And they came down and met each other in Milton Malbe and they shook hands. They shook hands and by the Lord they went for a drink. They went for a drink. They went for a drink. And in other places then, when the tans were going away, they, they threw things at the locals. Out of spite. Out of pure spite. There, there was every kind of reaction. Every kind of reaction. But the one thing I always remember was... In Milltown Malby, in Milltown Malby, the people were gathered around 
People will gather around and the tens were packing up. Packing up their stuff inside into their crossly tenders. And one of the tens started writing with his finger on dull dust on the truck. And the people gathered in closer. An old woman told me this. He gathered in closer to see what the hell is he doing. And there he was, spitting on his finger and writing, and spitting on his finger and writing. And what had he written? Only, we'll be back in 50 years. And as the woman that told me the story said, wasn't he a far-seeing man? They were back in 50 years, back to the north. And look what happened in Milltown Malbay. Just as they were leaving, one of them threw a hand grenade out the window of the barracks and it exploded in a crowd of children that were jeering at them. And look at the damage it did. Almost blew the legs off of a couple of the children and wounded several of the others. Awful stuff. So, with the tans, let me finish with that, you had every kind of good, bad and indifferent. You had not just the kind of monochrome picture that we have been given of them, uh, a shower of or a shower of blackguards. No, there were human beings. There was the good, there was the bad, there was the indifferent, there was the men of conscience, there was the thugs, there was the drunkards, there was the fellows who who were the near do wells. After Ireland, some of them were recruited out to Palestine to keep the peace there. Quite a few of them, in fact. <laughs> Did they keep peace there? I don't know. Uh, you had... You had... There were men of that time. The British government made a dire, dire mistake by bringing them here, as colonial powers usually do. Do colonial powers ever do anything right? I don't think so. We're still seeing the effects of that today. Uh, I don't think we'll get rid of those effects for another 50 or 60 years. So, what about poor Africa and places like that? What about the Middle East? They're going through those effects all right today. Oh, Lord. Anyway... Anyway, good night, good night, and I'll be along soon with another one. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.